We need to rebel positively, playfully, so that we can be more productive. We can connect. We can be our true self. And also get a lot of work done. It is possible for that to happen. You know, you don't have to work first and play. You can have a playful environment. You can see the work um, as a very serious thing and not take yourself so seriously. What is your relationship with play? And how do you integrate your work with time for rest and play? Does play feel elusive or like a luxury these days? If so, you're not alone. In my work over the years, my clients have taught me our relationship to work mirrors our relationship to play. And right now, the people I talk with are weary. No, they're determined, they're focused, they're committed, they're even hopeful, but also incredibly weary, weighed down by a lot of pressure and expectations and trying to stay afloat. Y'all, I feel it too. So many of us have not been able to catch our breath from all that's happened in the last several years while trying to keep up the demands from family and work and trying to be an engaged citizen. Now, I work with people who are making big shifts in their business and the way they do life right now, and they tell me they need to stop delaying play and rest and joy because working and grinding harder does not offer the relief they desire. But they also note how downshifting from productive work to meaningful play feels disorienting because they were taught play has no place at work. This recent quote from Hilton Carter, who is a director and an editor and a fine artist who is passionate about plants and demonstrates a lot of play and humor in his teachings and how we care for our plants, it stood out to me and he said, Running a small business can be challenging and tiresome, and believe me, we're all walking the line of burnout and tranquility. Oof. So now, more than ever, we need to cultivate playful spaces real time, where we work and live in order to deepen our connections with self and others, while also supporting our well-being and rewiring our relationship to productivity and work. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with humans who navigate life's challenges and lead in their own ways. Our goal is to learn how they address the burdens they carry, how they learn from them, and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. For the longest time, I believed work was synonymous with play. Work felt exciting. I wanted to keep doing it. It energized me. It challenged me. I developed deep friendships with people I worked with. Some I'm still in touch with today. My work with them, it felt like play. And I've been fortunate to work in places where I connected to the work on a personal level and worked alongside some brilliant and dedicated people. And I still feel that way today. I love what I do and who I work with every day. But for a long time, I could not sit still outside of work. Shifting out of work mode still challenges me. Ask some of my friends when they say hello when we meet up for lunch and I immediately dive deep into something heavy that I've been noodling with in my mind. And they're like, just wanted to know if you wanted to share an appetizer, Rebecca. (laughs) Unless I was sick or deeply fatigued, relaxing, goofing around, making, oh, the horror last minute plans to do something I enjoyed instead of being productive in my career or with household chores or errands. Well, it felt overwhelming and even wrong. Like there's this moral meaning around wasting time and indulging. I sometimes would hear this voice like, who do you think you are to be playing right now or resting right now? So after establishing my private practice and My kids were old enough to be in school all day. I started to consolidate my schedule and have a day off of clients in the middle of the week. I still shake my head as I reflect on how hard it was for me to take like a long lunch on that day or watch a show in the afternoon. And it was during this time that I started to see the shadow side of my relationship to work and productivity and how my worth, value, and safety enmeshed with a toxic understanding of work that I've breathed in my whole life. Now, more recently, I made the commitment to pursue even more space on my calendar and in my inner system. (laughs) 
I'll be honest with you, the results feel a bit like a shit show at times. And play continues to be a bridge to help me navigate these shifts. Things like live concerts, like live music, oh, it's medicine, or playing in my garden, beach time, standing in the waves for hours on end, cornhole and games of Uno, or playing catch with my dogs, or making up stories with my kids based on random words or things that catch our attention, all continue to be medicine as I detox from toxic productivity and recalibrate my boundaries around my work that I deeply love and value. And I see how my relationship with work feels like an inner mosh pit rebelling against sitting with all that I'm feeling and thinking and quote need to do, right? (laughs) Let alone the weight of all that's happening in the world, right? The discomfort, the unknown, the stories that move around in my head. And when I feel a dip in my mood or overwhelmed or just stuck in those blahs, that blah, blase feeling, I do a quick play inventory and usually see that I'm in a play deficit, which reminds me of this quote by play scholar Brian Sutton Smith, who says the opposite of play is not work, but it's depression. And I notice how work can sweep in and quickly quiet the noise between my ears and distract from the burdens my system is carrying, but so can play. Another play scholar, Dr. Stuart Brown, names seven properties of play in his book, Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. And he talks about play that's full of purposelessness. That's a big word. And he talks about play that's voluntary in nature. So hear this, all of you planning play now. No forced play. (laughs) It's inerrant interaction. People want to do it. Uh, Dr. Brown talks about we get this freedom from our sense of time when we play. What a gift, right? And one of my favorites is the diminished self-consciousness of play along with improvisational potential and this desire to continue it. Of late, I've been most drawn to the improvisational play where there's no schedules or plans on how to do things. It's something I'm noticing as I create more space in my life. And that's why I'm so excited to talk with today's Unburdened Leader guest. Gary Ware is the founder of Breakthrough Play and the author of the book, Playful Rebellion, Maximize Workplace Success Through the Power of Play. Gary has over 14 years of experience in the corporate world, holding various leadership positions. And being a multifaceted individual, Gary also comes with nearly a decade of experience as a performer in improv theater. After experiencing burnout in his pursuit for success and happiness, Gary realized that what was missing was play. Committing to a life of play is what led Gary to discover his passion for facilitating. Gary uses the power of applied improvisation and other playful methods to assist people in unlocking creativity, confidence, and better communication. Gary was recently featured as one of the top 100 HR influencers of 2021 by the Engaged HR Software Platform. And when Gary isn't leading workshops or speaking, you can find him learning magic or off on an adventure with his wife, Courtney, and sons, Garrett and Cameron. Now notice when Gary talks about play deficits and what we can do to avoid them. Pay attention to the barriers to play that Gary talks about and how we can protect ourselves and the spaces we work and lead in from defaulting to these common play barrier traps. And listen for the crossroad events that led Gary to pursue a career as an improv facilitator full-time. All right, y'all. Now, please welcome Gary Ware to the Unburdened Leader podcast. Gary, welcome. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. Uh, We were just talking briefly before. I was so stoked to find out that you are also based here in San Diego. And really, when I first heard about your work, I was prepping for topics for, you know, what, you know, this, for what's summertime, you know, and what do we do in the summer play? And I was thinking, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't play a lot. Like for me, like as an adult, 
play work was play like I had this ambition and I got to do all these things until I had kids <laughs> that they kind of turned my life around and realized I'm like what is this inefficient thing that you're doing <laughs> yep and and really it just forced me to get back to my roots of really what I did as a as a kid and and to play and the more that I dig in even with my clinical work and see the importance of play is so foundational to our well-being, to our relational, physical, mental, spiritual well-being. It's foundational. So I want to kick off and ask you, how do you define play? What is play to you? Well, play is such a broad spectrum of things. The thing that um, gets a lot of adults on edge is this definition of of doing something for no reason other than the sake of, of just doing it with no outcome at all um and that's so broad and because of that it's often labeled as frivolous or a waste right? of time um however there are other forms of play um where it's the ability to uh be so entrenched in what you're doing that you're able to um connect on a deeper level with others Time flies by, um, you're able to grow, um, you know, as a person and be the best version of yourself. Uh, that's why when you were talking about your work, as you saw your work as, uh, as play, yeah, that that is a form of play if you do it right. And then it can turn into burnout and stuff like that. So, but anyway, play, play is an activity, in my opinion, that um, I call it the accelerant. It's the fastest way to to growth as far as learning it's the fastest way to connect with someone and it's one of the fastest way to like you know really enjoy something um i think it was aristotle uh, i could be wrong uh, but they said um you can learn more about a person um through an hour of play you know than a you know a month of conversation or something like that oh my gosh that's actually really really true and and even their ability to play and to shift gears instead of just grind. Um, it is an accelerant. And, it, it, you know, so I do a lot of leadership trainings and I just got some feedback. We get feedback from the participants and one of them, I felt so seen. One of them was, one of them was she just seemed so chatty. You know, I liked her. And I was like, yes, I did not want to be serious. I just wanted to chat. I didn't want to have to do all the muck of the work. And, but I think the part of me that was so like, that I felt so seen is because that often is seen as a negative. They just want to chat, connect, goof around, not be so serious, right? Well, in my prep for our conversation, I came across a term you used um, called play deprivation. So yes. I want to actually have you define what that means to you and how that how does play deprivation show up in your life? So first off, before I talk about play deprivation, I want to say that we as what are called neotenous creatures, as in we retain our juvenile features for adulthood, which means that we are wired for play. We are wired for playfulness because we often associate play as something that kids do a waste of time. We cut that off. And so play deprivation um, is, you know, just like anything else, like that you deprive yourself from, like you start to, um, you know, be restless, um, you know, burnout can mm. show up in that um, moodiness, all of these, you know, things that are detrimental to us as a society, as, you know, uh, community beings, you know, it's because we're, we're um, not allowing ourselves to be playful and to play. And so that sometimes is the quickest way to alleviate symptoms of burnout is to bring that back into the equation. We live in a world that has a lot of deprivation of play, right? It doesn't, it, we kind of look at it as an outlier, like, oh, they look like they're having so much fun. Like, it's not cool to have fun doing what we're supposed to do. So, and just bringing it back to you, when when does play deprivation sneak up on you and in your life, even with all that you do? <laughs> yes. And so this is one of those things where I tell everyone, I said, look, I know all the sides. I I've experienced it and it still happens to me. And it happens when, um, one, when I overlook the signs, the, the warning signs, like when I start to mm. say, oh, you know what? I got to do some work. I'll, I'll, you know, and I start missing things like I'll, I'll, I'll skip this workout. I'll, I'll skip this meditation. Uh, uh -huh. you know, my son will, um, you know, pop back. Hey, dad, I can, can we play? I was like, no, 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 I, I got to do some work. You know, when I start doing things like that, it's 
going to start to sort of pile up when I'm not having proper sleep, proper rest. I, I talk about this in my book in that we don't necessarily, I know suggested eight hours or whatnot. I'm just saying for the amount of sleep that you get, is it restful sleep? Or are you the type that the battery drains to zero, you're passed out, you know, in your bed with your with your cell phone in one hand and, and, and then you, you know, you've been working and then you're not really truly resting because you're thinking about all these things that you have to do and you wake up exhausted. Um, so when that starts to happen, you know, when you're doing more all-nighters than you probably should be doing, that's when it's going to start to build up. And it happens to me. Um, and... I, you know, I don't think it's possible to completely cut those things out. Stress uh, sometimes is a good thing, you know, in moderation. Uh, but when it becomes more of the the norm and it happens on such a low amount that it's unnoticeable until it's too late. It's a slow creep. Yeah. It's a slow creep. And now I'm thinking my son has been on me to play chess. And I mean, I feel like for like chess, like I need space. And I'm like, I, I need space to do this. He's like, no, just five minutes. I want to teach. I'm like, I'm not going to learn chess in five minutes. But that's not what it's about. It's not about me learning it. It's about me playing with my son. And we had a little bit of a conflict last weekend. And he's like, what are you going to was out of like, he, he did something really wrong. And out of nowhere, he's like, what are you going to play chess with me? And I was like, oh, dang. He 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 wants he he needs some time and I, that's a sign for me that that you know we need that too. So it's amazing how play deprivation creeps up on us. But there is this thing also. It's it's not cool. Like if if I'm being a goofball or for me play is being a goofball. Like I'm not wearing like my therapist hat or my coach hat or my mom hat. Like you know I am d dance partying and making my kids go mom stop. You know like that to me is probably more of my authentic. But there's not a lot of spaces to play like it really isn't there isn't a lot of invitation for playing why do you think for, from what you, you know your work and your research and even your book you touch on this but why don't you show a bit why you think play deprivation is kind of more the norm these days it's the environment we hmm. create environments that is not susceptible to play and in those environments people don't feel like they can be themselves or in those environments it's too much stress, or maybe there's unspoken rules that, hey, you do this here, this is not, uh, is not approved. Um, you know, we, especially here in the States, we have this sort of hustle culture where it's, hey, you need to rise and grind, uh, you know, work, you know, work, 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 you'll sleep when you're dead. That is not conducive to play. Now, you bring up a good point as far as different types of play and playfulness. Um, and Dr. Stuart Brown in his book, Play, he talks about this a lot of like there's different play personalities. And, you know, the Joker is the one that is often synonymous with play, you know, goofing around and and whatnot. Now, to that point, you know, you don't want your surgeon to be like, hey, look what look what I just pulled out, you know, like, like sort of <laughs> doing do a bad trick. But at the same time, know. you don't want your surgeon to be so uptight and, and like stressed out that they're going to make a mistake. So there has to be like this equilibrium and there's a lot of research that shows that teams that create space for goofing around that um you know teams that play pranks on each other and and you know they do it in respectful ways they actually grow closer however you know to my point is that the environment is not conducive to that so people don't think that they have permission to mm. act that way and therefore they don't because they, I have this belief that the environment always wins. You can have the best intentions in the world, but if you're put in an environment that's not susceptible to that, it can't, it can't breathe. You're right. I mean, I, I, I'm a DC and a Marvel fan, but I'm just thinking about the Joker, right? Like one of his kind of insidious comments is, "Why so serious?" Right? right. And like this is complete, literal, like archetype of a sociopath who was so deeply abused, you know. And then so like he played with like hurting people deeply, um, but that sense that that not being serious is verboten, right? And I mean, being a joker can be disruptive, you know, to a sense, but just not taking ourselves so seriously, that's something I just really try to do. Um, okay, so I want to I want to take you back in time. And, yeah, and, and let's again, go. Let's and so, rewind <laughs> it. Back, rewind it. So I, I heard a story, and again, in prepping for our conversation, let me know if I'm getting any of this. Correct me if I miss anything. But I yeah. want to go back to when you're about, I guess, about late 30s. 
because <laughs> I just I still was thinking about this. Like when it rains, it pours. You had a young baby and you just received the news that your business partner, your co-founder wanted to buy you out of the company that you both developed. And on the same day, you received the news that you had to move out of the home you were living because it was going to be sold. So you made plans to move back home with your parents. So what were you thinking during this time? And how did your study of play, because it was kind of a hot side hustle at the time, how did your study of play help you go all in with this new venture? But first, like, yeah, first just tell me, what were you thinking when you had this perfect storm? I I was in shock, to be honest, because if I can tell you what happened before that, so that was like, yes, you're right, when it rains, it pours. But I was oblivious to it because I thought um, actually just – a few days before that, I was in Nicaragua leading a retreat, um, and it was a play-based, play-adventure retreat. Again, this is this play stuff that I did, facilitation and, and whatnot, was just a hobby. It was a side hustle. It was something I was interested in. Yes, I was taking all the learnings and applying it to the team that you know was for the business that I ran, um, but I would do all these other things. And so it was my birthday week, and me and another facilitator, we were in Nicaragua. It was our last night there. And I was looking at this beautiful sunset. We were on the beach. There were baby turtles coming from the nest, waddling down to the ocean. It was beautiful. I was like, literally was like almost in tears. I was like, wow. And I was like, I get to do this. I am fortunate enough to have an environment <laughs> that allowed me to do this, you know, because I, I was, you know, had a decent salary. You know, I was running this uh, business. I had, you know, flexibility for that. Um, little did I know that was the calm before the storm, because yes, that Monday when I was checking in with my business partner, he, um, he told me that, yeah, he was going to be buying me out. Um, you know, he owned 90% of the company, you know, his choice, there were only, you know, two, two partners. So he had most of the, the stuff like that. And then yes, right after that, we got the call that they're selling our house and we had about a month and a half to move. And so I was shocked. I was completely like shocked of like, what do I do? Like my wife's not working. We have an almost one year old. Um, and, and in that moment, you, like as, as far as play, like plays extinguished. And that's just how we are as creatures. Mm -hmm. When we're stressed, we can't play, but the challenge is we can't access creativity either because mm -hmm. we're in that fight, flight or freeze. So we're operating from our limbic system, like our lizard brain. And we're not, able to access the creativity and the possibilities and whatnot. Um, but fortunate uh, for me on a few things. One, had the support of my family. They were like, hey, um, you know, come on. Yeah, you can move in, you know, move back in. Um, and and then I had the support of, of my wife. Uh, she was the one who, uh, and sometimes it takes someone outside of you to see something that you don't see. And she was the one that suggested, <laughs> like, hey, how about you sort of double down on this? Because I was, you know, I, I guess maybe the same thing would have been to go get another agency job. You know, I had at this point, you know, had over a decade of experience um, working, you know, in that world. And I probably could have gone and, and you know, tapped into my uh, my network and probably gotten another job. Uh, but there was a little bit of shame of like, because I left a very cush job to start this agency. And I was so excited. I, I was like, we're going to change the world. And no, it ended up being a lot more of the same. So nonetheless, yeah, there was a lot of shame. But my wife, she was the one who really supported me and said, hey, you know, I, I, I think you can do this. I think you can figure this out. And, and on top of that, talk about the play. She noticed a, a difference in me. Like when I would do like the retreats and when I do these workshops, how I would come back invigorated, um, you know, full of joy in life compared to like I would be, you know, in a client meeting or something come back and just exhausted so it was a noticeable difference and so yeah that was that was the catalyst that put me on the journey that allowed us to be having this conversation here today it is so powerful how our people can be the mirrors to us even when we don't like what they're reflecting back because i really do see my husband and my kids as kind of my barometer too when when they reflect back on how i'm doing i we're in it right we're kind of like the frog in the boiling water sometimes yes. and we're just doing the thing and then they reflect back and we're like no no i'm not upset and i'm like oh wait <laughs> you know, yes 
I am. Yep. You know, and and even just like, wow, that seemed really stressful. Or you actually are really happy. Like I haven't seen you this happy or joyful in a while. And having that feedback from someone you trust. So I really having those folks in our life, I I, I can't think of every pivotal moment I've made has probably been connected to someone also mirroring, reflecting, giving some feedback. And so that that it really is crucial. Um, and so noticing that you were having fun with it. It's interesting though how you didn't see it, that you were having a blast with your side hustle hobby, but that you're super all in with grinding at the agency job. What do you think got, what was in the way of you connecting the dots with how much you were loving this work that you were doing in the play space? you know, and coaching and consulting were on play versus your job. What got in the way of you seeing that before your wife pointed it, uh, pointed out this fact? To be honest, I think it's society mm. in that going back to what you were saying before of how as a greater whole, we think that in order for it to be like meaningful, we, it has to, has to be hard, hard work. We have to, yes. We have to, we have to work hard. And, you know, you shouldn't be having that much fun, you know, that that's quote unquote a hobby. Um, and then also one of those things of, well, that's what I went to school for. So that's what I should be doing, you know, as my career. Like, why should I, you know, why should I start over or anything like that? You know, even though like if I was honest with myself, I would, you know, realize like, oh, yeah, with the agency, like the first couple of years were great it was the honeymoon but then you know that's why i didn't see the writing on the wall that's why i was oblivious to like uh. when my business partner was like nope i'm doing this and then come to find out um a few months later i got word from someone who's in the sort of same circles that he was trying to sell the agency and i was like oh oh interesting again i was ob oblivious so you know lesson learned uh but yeah i i think the main thing is i hmm. didn't think i deserved that to be my career. You know, it's interesting. I'm sit sitting here thinking about play deprivation and the shoulds that we all carry and how they feed each other. They do. Right? You know, the shoulds. It's interesting how the shoulds of you're not supposed to enjoy what you do. And if you do, what's wrong? There's this weird thing. I think that I think we're in a time right now where the tide is turning on that, but at least that's what I was raised with. So Thanks for sharing that. Um, so I want to talk about your, your you wrote a book titled yes. Playful Rebellion. Yay. So walk me through your thought process of a playful rebellion and then what led to your need for a playful rebellion. Yes. So uh, the reason why it's called a playful rebellion is when I said at the top that us humans, we were wired for play. However, mm -hmm. we as when we become adults, we think it's a frivolous activity. It's ingrained in us. It's in our DNA. There's things like the Protestant work ethic, uh, you know, and all these other things that are has been there that's telling us that as adults, we should work very hard. We don't have to enjoy the work that we are we're doing. Play is just for kids. And the main thing is, yes, there are some people that do all of that stuff. And they're very successful and, and, you know, they live very rewarding life and, and, and mm -hmm. things like that. And, you know, again, the old thing was like, oh, you know what? It's only 20 something years and then you can retire. Well, guess what? That's not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. Also, it's not guaranteed that you're going to live that long. So why are you waiting, um, you know, to enjoy yourself? And so, um, you know, companies and people as a whole are trying to like, optimize. Hey, how can I get more productivity? How can I do all these other things? Guess what? The answer has been staring us in the face. It's play. However, because we have so much adversity to play, just because I know the data and, and all this other stuff, I'm still going to have some resistance. So we need to rebel. That's where the rebellion comes from. We need to rebel positively, playfully, so that we can be more productive. We can connect. We can be our true self. And also get a lot of work done. It is possible for that to happen. You know, you don't have to work first and play. You can, you know, have a playful environment. You can see the work um, as a very serious thing and not take yourself so seriously. And then as a result, you can, you know, definitely reap the benefits. Um, so that's 
sort of like the thing of why we need a playful rebellion. Um, you know, where does this come from me of the same thing of like, man, I'm reaching burnout all the time. And I, again, I thought that was the thing. I was like, oh, adult, adulthood. When you reach adulthood, <laughs> like you just burn yourself, burn yourself on the daily. And it's a badge of honor to talk about how much you work because that's just what we do. And it wasn't until I took an improv class. Um, again, my background is not in theater. It's not in any of that. And it's it's very ironic and funny. To, uh, my reason for taking an improv class had nothing to do with joy. Mm. It had everything to do with optimization. I wanted to be better at public speaking. I wanted to be better at my job. I wanted to get a promotion. And, and I found out through a mentor that an improv class is that path. I didn't want to take an improv class. I was actually scared. I'm like, why do I need to do this? But I did. And that first class, those first two hours were so amazing. I like to say you never forget your first improv class if it's done right. Others, it's kind of awkward. And anyways, but nonetheless, for me, it was such a magical experience because for two hours we were just playing. We were playing these silly games but it was a lot of fun. I was completely focused. I wasn't thinking about my to-do list. I wasn't thinking about all the things I had to do at work. I wasn't thinking about like the stressors of life. I was just in that moment. And it, it, I tell this story a lot, uh, but it's very funny. I go home and my wife, um, after this first improv class, thought I was drunk. Thought I like I would drink it or something afterwards. Uh, because I was just like so like bubbly and, and, and like, you know, full of joy. And I was just so happy. And... And then um, I was excited. Come Sunday, I was excited for Monday when most people aren't excited for the beginning of the work week because I that evening I had improv class. And and then so that was my that was the eye opening thing of like, oh, it doesn't have to be this way. And then I started it started bringing these activities to my colleagues, my my workmates, and we were having more fun. And and on top of that, we were still getting a lot of work done. And and you know, we had high levels of psychological safety. All these things I learned later. <laughs> I didn't know what I know now, but I just it was fun. And that's the thing with play. Play is inherently pleasurable and it's something that you want to share. It's something that you want to involve other people in. So that was the thing. And then after that, then I realized I'm like, oh, there's a better way of doing things other than you know, needing to be a curmudgeon all the time. I'm curious, like you talked about, you started bringing these principles back to work and you would start engaging them with your colleagues and you would have fun and you would still get a lot of work done. Can you like kind of walk me through what a day would look like if you were like changing things up where you were having involving play with also getting a lot of work done? Uh, one example um, is <laughs> I worked at a digital marketing agency. We had some very high profile clients and these high profile clients, because we spent a lot with, or they spent a lot with us, their expectation was that they had us under lock and key. They can do whatever they want and, you know, is what it is. And so we had this client that we would have meetings uh, with, and they essentially would just use us as our punching bag. And it was so demeaning. It was just, no one liked those meetings. No one liked working on that account. It was the account that I inherited. So is what it is. And so what we would do before we would get on a call, we would play an improv game um, just as a way to like, you know what? We just need something fun <laughs> because the next hour is going to be relentless. What we didn't realize is that that game, uh, like some of the games that we played, the goal of the game is to help you see things from a different perspective. And so it opened us up for seeing things from a different perspective. So that was another thing. Two, it... Uh, filled our body up with all of those happy chemicals like dopamine, endorphins, serotonin. So, you know, we, we trusted each other. We felt safe. We felt creative. Um, and then the meetings were still the meetings. <laughs> the client was still the client. Um, however, we were able to get through it. And then afterwards, we weren't depleted. So therefore, like, you know, after that meeting, typically we're like, Shh. You know, we we would be so like not productive for the rest of the day because again we were beat up for like an hour, and so like you know we don't have the motivation to jump back into work. But after that, like we like got through it, and again it was an unconscious thing. We just got back, you know, got back to work. We still, again, we have very high expectations on the work that we had to do. They were spending millions of dollars with us, 
So we did not neglect our work. Matter of fact, like like I said, we were more productive. And yeah. also we were able, um, you know, some of these improv principles um, that you learn by playing these games, you can't unlearn them. So we were listening even more intently. And we were able to... It was almost like a Jedi mind trick sort of thing where she like it's, over time, she actually got more calm, mm. maybe because we heard her better. We were able to have empathy and we 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 yeah. were able to sort of get this client to be more reasonable over time. Leading is hard. Leading is also often controversial as you navigate staying aligned to your values, your mission, your boundaries. Navigating the inevitable controversy can challenge your confidence, clarity, and calm. Now, I know you don't mind making the hard decisions, but sometimes the stakes seem higher and can bring up echoes of old doubts and insecurities during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action. Finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex and polarized world can help you identify the blocks that keep you playing it safe and small. Now, leading today is not a fancy title or fluffy bragging rights, and it doesn't have to be so serious either. But it is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is so unknown and the doubts and pains from the past keep showing up to shake things up. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism at bay and foster a hope that is playful, actionable, and aligned. And when the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus, when you want to navigate inevitable conflict between your ears and with those you lead, when time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity, then Unburdened Leader Coaching is for you and where you want to deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently than the status quo. To start your Unburdened Leader Coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free connection call. I can't wait to hear from you. So one play is medicine. Play is an antidote. It helps with endurance with in getting through hard things and that the, you had a bit of a crash after those toxic hard meetings, but it didn't take you out because you pre-gamed with play. But that also deepened connection and where there's connection, there's trust. And when you have trust, you can do just about anything on a team. So I'm loving this. So, okay, I want to get a little granular on Please. what is a playful rebellion with the meeting. I blew a fuse on meetings when I worked in DC. Like I, I hit a wall and to this day, I'm like, I I'd still have a hard, I mean, I still have to do some of them, but like there was a meeting for freaking everything. And now we've got a lot more meeting. Everything's on, a lot more is on Zoom. Zoom is more normal or some sort of, you know, online screen time. So what <laughs> does a playful rebellion look like in action especially around our horrible meetings. <laughs> yes. So to that point, um, it's all about looking at these social norms and how can we flip them on on its head? Um, hmm. A typical meeting is, you know, like let's take a typical Zoom meeting. People just sort of check in and they're like, mm -hmm, you know, just not doing their thing. And, and it's like, all right, we got to get to work. Uh, all right, let's, let's get down to business. Or, you know, and then it's like, What? Um, how you can sort of flip that on its head. Imagine this. You have some music playing as people are coming in. Just some light music, nothing nothing too crazy. And before you get into the work, I love how you said you pre-game pre-gamed with play. I'm I'm going I'm going to start using that. But what if you did some sort of check-in? Um, so there's a game uh, that I like to do uh called That's Me or um um, true for me, where it's just like simple questions like, you know, hey, who's who's a cat lover? You know, if it's true for you or, you know, what? that's me, that's me. And it's really quick, but, and it seems silly. However, it has some powerful ramifications. One, it's allowing everyone to be seen and heard. And you're disclosing something that is personal to you. 
And so as a result, you're building trust. You got it. Now we can jump into this meeting and be very effective. And so that, again, it's, it's different than the typical meetings where it's like, oh, we got to get to business and this, that, and the other. But like, you have no idea, especially virtual meetings nowadays. You have no idea where someone came from. Like, where were they right before this meeting? You know, maybe it was something difficult or, or maybe they're a little burnt out. So doing something to allow everyone to sort of um, acclimate to each other, attune to each other, really mm -hmm. allows the meeting to be that much more productive. And it seems like it's a waste of time, but no, it's, it's very meaningful. Yeah, and I, that's one of my favorite openers. I love, like, I have a little slightly different take on it, but I, I love that one. Like, we can, like, stay, like, keep your camera on if this is you, right? Yeah. So, okay, but I have been through these, like, forced play experiences, like, early in my career. Like, we'd go to a retreat and go do a ropes course. All of a sudden, I'm like, with these folks, it was weird. Like folks I'd never seen in like khakis. They'd always been in suits, you know, and then all of a sudden we're like doing like, again, this is so stereotypical, like the trust fall or it was like this hot wiring vulnerability, you know, and like I dreaded that stuff. But this is the stuff that's fun, like a little bit of music. I mean, the research is deep and wide on music and the impact on our well-being and on community and connection. But, you know, can you speak a little bit to folks that in the name they think it's play but they're they're doing this stuff that they just need to stop like in the name of like we're gonna bond and have this retreat and it's it's weird and awkward you know what i'm talking about right I know exactly I mean, what you're talking about so yeah so yeah i'd love for you to speak to that so so to that point they they're they're making my work that much more challenging but in a good like so it's making it challenging but then when i do what i do it actually they're like whoo <laughs> yes uh so hey you do you, buckaroo. I'll do me. But so the thing is, play is something that we need to be invited into. Mm. Like if you're sort of coerced into it, you may do it, but it's not true play. Um, and so how I would do something like that differently, all right, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that like, yes, if people are willing to do a ropes course together and you get outside your comfort zone, that's that's great. Uh, but however, not every, that's not that's not cool for everyone. Everyone's not into that. And so how can we attune to each other first, do something and build up to that maybe? You know, maybe do uh, something like as far as building trust. Like, you know, you, you're not really going to build that much trust by like, hey, I'm going to force everyone to do this thing. And people are like, really? They may say that they are, but like afterwards then they're like disgruntled and then they're thinking about these activities. So how can we do something on a lower level that is inviting to people? How can we use inviting language and allowing people to self-select and say, yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, I would like to be into this. And then, you know, as people get more in tune to each other, as people feel more comfortable, then maybe we can take it to the next level. But they just, they saw somewhere, they read on Harvard Business Review that teams that are like like in danger with each other, they they grow and blah, blah, blah. And really? So for, my things tend to be more on the goofier side, tend to be on the um, low stress. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to get you outside your comfort zone, but I start everything very simple. And I want to resonate with everyone. I want everyone to feel like, oh, all right, cool. This is doable. We're working together. This is doable. And then I'll crank it up a notch. But I want everyone to step together. And then by the end, when, you know, as a collective group, we feel more uh, trusting with each other, then we can do something a little bit more out there. But I would never start with that. Yeah, it's it's a scaffolding. I love the piece that we, it's an invitation because yes. it's consent. And without yes. consent, we're doing harm. So, yes. and then it become performative. And then there's this sense of, oh, if I don't, you know, give my A game to this forced activity, I might get hurt in my job, you know, job, or I might, you know, so then it's like a, that's, that's not the intention. And you're, you're reading the room and, and you scaffold into that. So I'm just, I just wanted to name that. Please. So, thank you. I love this. Yes. <laughs> what are some of the most common barriers of play? And then what would you say are their antidotes? Yeah. Uh, the first barrier to play is realize or thinking that there's only one type of play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's like, oh, sports or, you know, uh, goofing off. And then the antidote to that, you know, is to realize that there are multiple forms of play. Um, and not every form of play is 
ideal for everyone or every situation. So, you know, taking something like Dr. Uh, Dr. Stuart Brown's um, analysis, you know, of like what's your play personality and then using mm -hmm. that um, as a starting point for exploring. So that is one of the other things. The other one is most people don't think they have enough time. You know, you even mentioned oh, it too, you know, did. of like, you know, chess, because again, you're, you're right. Like as adults, we have this sort of perception of like, we're all in, <laughs> you know, chess. Oh my you know, gosh. You, you, I know, I know. I so, I like, I know this, but I'm like, I fell for it. I'm like, I don't have to learn chess. I just need to be with my son. Yes. And so, <laughs> so, so for people who, you know, say, oh, I don't have enough time to play. I say you do. It's just that you aren't creating the space to at least get started. Uh, so there's uh, a few things there. Um, so true. One, realizing that you can have a playful moment in five minutes. And, you know, you can. And so this is where I I invite people to in when they're in a good mood, because I feel like you're able to generate more ideas when you're in a good mood. When you're in a good mood, just lists of the things that bring you joy and potentially how long it takes. And then put a five minute slot on your calendar. And when you get there, just like pull out your playlist. And what is something that you could do that is going to bring you joy? And it doesn't have to be so involved. It's like, all right, five minutes for me personally. Gosh, we, com we complicate things, don't we? We do. <laughs> I have within an arm's reach, actually in both directions, uh, a bag of Legos. For me, I, I like to the kinesthetic, the sort of putting things together. I'm not necessarily doing anything grandiose, but it's getting my mind off of what I'm doing. I'm using my hands. I can I can tinker with that for five minutes. I'm good. For others, um, you know, maybe it is a book, a nonfiction book that they have on their Kindle or something like mm -hmm. that. Where look, instead of scrolling social media, maybe replace the spot that your your Instagram app is on your phone with your Kindle app. And so when you have that response to go and click that, you click and open Kindle and just read two pages. Mm. So time, time is a big one, you know, time and, and perception. Those are the, the big ones that get, mm. keep people from playing. Um, oh, the other one is, oh, I'm too old, but let's ju just be honest. Let's just, you're not too old. No, no. I, I mean, for me, and this is probably stereotypical, but a dance party it, and I've got a playlist. I got different, couple of different playlists. And again, I mortify my kids, but I also is like a form of play. Cause I can't wait to see how many eye rolls I'll get. Uh, I think it might be some sort of like, Gen X thing, Gen X moms thing and doing like weird dance party moves to 80s music because uh, I'm starting to find other moms that do this. And I'm like, I won't film myself, but I'll watch other moms doing it. But there's something about the movement. And for me, I found my garden has become play and like designing spaces has become a feeling of play. I didn't realize how much creating physical spaces was play and I did like I, I just kind of thought oh I'm not a designer that's not me and then once I like leaned it I like I had these images that I had to like download into the spaces and so once I like lay into that and I thought I need and I you're right because I'm like okay I've got 10 minutes I'm gonna go try and figure out what I want to do with this little corner here in the yard and in the old piece though it's still prevalent it's still prevalent, but we're gonna we're gonna continue to push back on that one because it is a state of mind. I mean, yes, our bodies are our bodies do age. <laughs> yes, that's true. But it is it is a state of mind. So to that point, um, that was someone that I was working with over the pandemic. That was their realization because their form of play was travel, and that was. Uh, oh, wow. And then they were they were experiencing a lot of you know um languishing uh they were you know borderline depression and and whatnot and and their therapist told them like hey you need to find a new outlet and so that's how we got introduced and and we were chatting about you know all right you know how did you play when you were younger and then they were like oh i played with dolls i'm not gonna go buy a barbie i'm not and i said i don't want you to buy a barbie if that's not your jam um but like let's unpack this like what did it mean to you like you know um you know, playing with Barbies, like, what did it signify? And then she said, well, it was very nurturing. Like, I, you know, always wanted to be a mom. So, like, that was, like, my thing. And I said, is there something else you can nurture? And and then we were brainstorming, and and plants was the thing. And, and at first she had this limiting belief that, like, oh, I don't think I can take care of a plant. And then I said, is there a plant that is, like, you can't kill? Like, it, and she found succulents, like, was the thing. And so started with one and now she has over 250 two and a half years <laughs> later 
She is nurturing. Yeah, lots she of nurture. Nurturing. But, but to that point, like all that free awesome. time was like, oh, let me research how to propagate them. Oh, I want yep. to make the space look nice. And that became, again, her form of play. And so what happened is, uh, you know, she was able to get into a state of flow yep. uh, because she was focusing on that. Um, she had a sense of purpose with it. Um, and, you know, and, and it brought her joy. Mm, I love it. Um, you, you touched on rest a little bit at the beginning of our conversation. And, you know, again, research very clear. There's a big connection between rest and play. And there was this quote in your book, Playful Rebellion, that stood out to me. I'm going to read it real quick. And it, you wrote, people feel it's their duty to work hard and they feel guilty if they don't. We tend to tie our self-worth with our productivity. If we don't put in all the extra hours, when we're not producing for our employers, we feel like we're as good as the people. We feel like, we don't feel like we're as good as the people who do. It's the mindset that's been handed down, and maybe even more than a mindset, and ingrained since people started working. And if left to our own devices, we'll work ourselves right into an early grave. And I'm like, and I, again, I think we're in a reckoning around grind culture and rest and I think people are curious about this, but go, but can I? And there's also, there's a lot going on. It's like, I think more than a mindset, there's also a lot of burdens to even just make ends meet. And and even basic, it's hard to play, like you said, if you don't feel safe, right? There's a lot of stuff going on in our world. And, and so, but I, I still think it's important to talk about the, like you mentioned, the different types of rest. And I'm wondering how you incorporate rest into your personal play practices and even how you teach that yes oh my gosh that for me has been like a new sort of uh frontier because again in that grind culture it was like oh i don't need to sleep you know um mm. I, I need to be productive so i'm going to get up as early as i can and blah 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 and you know no it, it's lame once i got like some really good rest i'm like oh this is amazing I, I need more of this. And then uh, then we had kids mm. and then I missed that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so then I talk about quality. Uh, so for me, uh, and I talk about this in the book, uh, the first thing like macro, macro is, is sleep. And I work with uh, people that consider themselves <laughs> recovering uh, workaholics sort of situation. Mm -hmm. And it's, and they're like, I can't, I can't sleep eight hours. Like my body won't let me. And I said, okay, you know, meet them where they are. How many hours do you sleep? And is it restful? And like, is it complete restful? Um, I talk about creating a, uh, a, 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 I forgot where I read this, but it was like a bedroom palace, you know, a place where, you know, it's very inviting. You know, do you mm -hmm. have, if it works for you, the blackout curtains, or do you have like the comfy sheets? Are you creating a wind down routine? It's funny, the things that we yep. use with our, our children, they still are applicable as adults. And, and and I would think, too, that rest isn't just sleep, right? Sometimes it's just staring at the wall. Yes. Sometimes it, it could be watching a show, not completely numbing out. Um, it could be, you know, just doing something small, right? But it's it, almost like this bridge to play, too, yes. right? Because it's not just sleeping. Yes. And so that's the micro rest. So the macro yeah. is the sleeping. The micro are those moments in between work and, and other things where you're giving your brain and body a chance to uh, rejuvenate. And so, yeah, it's, you know, I, I ask people often like, all right, in between meetings and stuff like that, what do you do? Most people, I don't know. And then I ask them to like, all right, over the next week, keep track of those moments. What happens in those moments? Ooh, like a rest and play inventory. Like, what do you do yeah. in between those little mo? <gasps> I'm going to do that. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have my whole family do that. So a number of people like find themselves like, oh yeah, I check email or I scroll here or I do this. And those things, right? yeah, these small moments that add up. Yeah. And they add up and they're not conducive to, um, you know, just overall good brain health and productivity. And so, you know, instead of, you know, having five minutes and, and scrolling on social media, I, I have this beautiful view out of my window right here. I can see our boat bird feeders and the sun is starting to come out. It's nice. Like, so I will sit there and just like sort of just zone out and, mm. and, you know, we're good. And then you get back into the default mode of the brain, you know, where, you know, you're starting to sort of be creative and stuff. However, 
is one of those things you have to give yourself permission because that does not seem like a good use of time. Yeah. Yeah. But those micro moments are crucial. And then the last thing that um, in this grind hustle culture, most people don't really think of, and these are like mezzo breaks. And these are stepping away from the work for an extended period of time. Um, we don't all have the luxury to take sabbaticals. I, I'm excited for the day where that is a possibility for me. It's not yet. However, I had to like reframe the situation. And one of the things that I worked on was what I call Mezzo Fridays is to be done with, um, with work by noon so I can spend the rest of the afternoon doing something creative and something, you know, fun and what whatnot. Oftentimes it was just sort of errands and stuff, but it's all good that, you know, that gave me some space so that, you know, on the weekends I'm more present for the kids. Um, but, you know, exactly. people are working, you know, through the weekends and stuff. So do you have, and this is all about intentionality. Do you have a time, you know, that you can step away from your work? Trust me, the work will still be there. You know, it is possible. Um, and mm. one quick story, like it, it's it's sort of sad, but like it, there's a big um, sort of lesson. A, a good friend of mine ended up getting really sick and had to take some time off um, from work and was really like uh, stressed out about like what's going to happen uh, when they returned. And turns out, you know, the work was still there. <laughs> you know, the her team, you know, helped her pick up the slack and everyone was there to support um, but it's that culture of that you have to be there or else everything's going to fall apart. Um, and it, when she was really reflecting, she was like, I, it was like my body had to tell me some way. <laughs> and, and that's the unfortunate thing is like, you know, let's not wait till we have a serious in, uh, injury before we start to put some of these into place. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm, you brought up presence and I'm like, I can't rest if I'm not present. I can't play if I'm not present. But both of those are catalysts to help me be more present. It's this interesting piece, but I can I can numb out. I can, you know, have the spectrum of dissociation, but that's not restful. That's protection. And so I, I feel like this is some nuance here that I'm going to be rumbling with. Um, Thank you for that. So I, I guess I just want to wrap up because you, you've evolved in your own career and what success means for you. So I'm curious what success looks like for you today and how it's different from when you were younger. Yeah, when I was younger, success uh, was very sort of external. It was, you know, whether I got the raise or what's the position or um, materialistic, like, oh, look, I got I, I bought these things and and that represents like wealth and stuff like that. Now, um, as I'm more mature <laughs> in my sort of state of being, uh, I'm not mature. But anyways, <laughs> it's it's more about impact. Did I do something that helped someone else out? Mm -hmm. um, matter of fact, on a daily basis, um, I have a sort of an affirmation that I read to myself and it's like, what can I do to show kindness to someone? What is one small thing? And that's something that um, I don't always sort of plan it out, but I say it to myself as a way to just sort of put that intention, um, you know, into my head of like, oh, coming from a place of empathy and whatnot. So for me, I know that I'm successful if I am doing something that is contributing to something bigger than myself. And I know maybe it's because we're on the West Coast and we're in Southern California, we're like, oh, woo woo. But that's that's for me, and 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 I can live with that. And that um, that means that you know, yes, I can, um, you know, not always have to take the biggest contracts and things like that. Now, don't get me wrong; this mm. has been like seems like years in the making. <laughs> And sometimes I I do regress backwards and, and then I'm have to remind myself, I'm like, no, 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 we're good. Stay the course. Mm -hmm. So it, it is interesting because like that I'm a very competitive person. And so there's something about like ambition and entrepreneurship that can kind of, you know, that can feel like play. And then it has its shadow side, like so quickly it can just go there. And um and, and and I but I appreciate that too. So this is great. I feel like we could talk about so much more. And are you okay with if we wrap up with some quick fire questions? Please bring them. All right, all right. So what are you reading right now, Gary? Whew. Uh, what am I reading? Oh, 
is actually right here on my on my desk. Uh, this is an amazing book by uh, Janine Ledford. Uh, I just met her at an awesome conference, and it's the Seven Gems of Intercultural Creativity. And uh, Janine talks about um, how if we want to have diversity, um, like diversity of thought and, and, and inclusion stuff like that, and be creative, we need to consider all these things. And so it she each of these gems is um, a different sort of practice. Um, and so I, I just broke into it. I just got it. I'm just, um, nice. uh, breaking the surface. I saw her speak at a conference that I was at in Santa Barbara, uh, called the Epic International Summit. And, uh, her talk, uh, just blew me right open on all of that stuff. And so, uh, so far, uh, really great book. And that's what I'm reading. I can't wait to check it out. What song are you playing on repeat? <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Um, embarrassing it's it's the peaches song from the mario brothers movie that jack black sings oh my uh, gosh jack black yes it's so <laughs> silly but i i love that song uh and it brings me so much joy oh, i gotta check it out um what is the best tv show or movie that you've seen recently ted lasso hands down oh. Hands down. I know. I'm where I'm at. Like at the, this recording, there's one more episode left of the season, I believe. So I'm having a moment. No, you have, we have three. The season's we longer. Is It's, uh, oh. I think, going to be 12, 12 episodes. So we have a few Okay, more. that feels better because this was like, I'm like, what is going to happen? Okay, this feels better to my nervous system. Thank you. You're welcome. But Exhale. Yes. Okay. Um, not everyone relates to this, but I'm a big 80s pop culture person. Do you have a favorite 80s movie or piece of pop culture? Oh! Oh my gosh! Ah, yes. Oh, you're my people. Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, <laughs> where do I start? Uh, Real Genius. Uh, oh my gosh! Yes, Real Genius. Real Genius. I was, I was talk- that popcorn yeah. scene is like is just amazing. Oh my God. When the house is like they 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 pull that prank and then uh you know the the laser comes in pops all that popcorn the house is pretty much exploded. I think you touched on one of your mantras. I don't know if you have any, but what is your mantra right now? Um yeah, the one about uh, spreading kindness. Um, another one that um I tend to be very competitive as well. So uh you're you're not alone there. But it's all about uh what can I do to be better than the person I was yesterday. And so for me, uh, uh, the competition is instead of like, cause I, I have a tendency I can be, I can compete against other people. And as a way to like keep myself laser focused, I think about like, all right, if I'm going to compete, let's compete about myself with myself yep. and how can I be better than I was yesterday? So then, um, you know, I have to keep that in check, <laughs> but between the kindness. So now I'm focusing on someone else and then improving little by little every day. Um, I feel like that's a good yin and yang. That that is good. I appreciate that. I, I found that I am I'm much better when I'm competing against myself. That feels a little bit more tame. Yes. What what is an unpopular opinion that you hold? Ooh. Um uh I'm not a big fan of Star Trek. So like I know Ooh. there's Trekkies out there. I just I, I've I've tried it and just I don't I don't see I don't see see that. So that's just not my jam. That is a polarizing statement right there. That is <laughs> Can very we still polarizing. Be not as much for me, but for people okay, who I know, okay. yes. So, so I, 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 I actually hesitate to say those things because it, you know it can it can be same with Star Wars, Star Wars and Star Trek. It's like yes, get behind I, me, Satan. Yes, exactly. You know what? The, those those uh, Star Trek nerds. You know, it's all good. Come at me. Um, it's cool. <laughs> You'll play it out. And who or what inspires you to be a better leader and human? Um, my two boys, um, I have a six year old named Garrett and I have a nine month old as of this recording named Cameron. And, um, they are so curious and creative and they are going to be way smarter than their, their pops. So, um, one, I want to feel like I can contribute to their growth. So they, so like, I'm like, you know, they inspired me to be a better person uh, because I know that it's it's not a um, for sure. You know, do, do as I say sort of situation. I have to I have to model the behavior if I want them to uh, also be good humans. And so that has been my inspiration. Is uh, I I don't want to raise um, uh, two little boys that um, are end up being uh, douchebags. So awesome, Gary. This has been so fun. Where can people find you and connect with you? 
if you are on LinkedIn, look me up, Gary Ware. Uh, I spend a lot of time on Instagram, um, at Gary Ware. Uh, I'm on some other socials, but those are the two places where you can find me the most. I love your Friday wrap-ups on Instagram. You do like a little montage with just what you've seen around the internet. They're awesome and very worthwhile checking out. So definitely go Yay. follow Gary, even for some joy and play there. Awesome. Gary, thank you so much for your time and for all that you bring into the world and just for, for your leadership. So I really enjoyed this conversation and grateful for it. Thank you. And and I want to just acknowledge you, Rebecca. Thank you for holding space for us to tell stories. Uh, this has been such a delightful time and I really appreciate being on the show. Before you go, I hope you take away a few key nuggets from today's Unburdened Leader conversation with Gary. Now, if your well-being is tanking, that may be in part because you're practice of true play is out of sorts. And Gary shared at length how the power of play can foster well-being, connection, and feeling more engaged in all areas of our lives. He also shared how play offers relief when we're overwhelmed and we're stuck at work while creating connection and community instead of just grinding and pushing harder. And I'll be honest with you, as much of a goofball as I am, I'm not a fan of these like cheesy forest icebreakers that just check the box and call it play. No way. But I deeply value integrating a playful spirit and culture around work. The rules around professionalism and seriousness make us sick and move us away from meaningful work and well-being. So I'm curious, after listening to today's episode, do you want to make any shifts in how you approach work and play? And when you take a moment to do a play inventory and reflect on times of play, are you suffering from a play deficit? And how can you push back on the barriers of play Gary discussed in our conversation? It sure makes a lot of sense that the idea of play feels so elusive to so many right now. And to hotwire a player with some random games or icebreakers may feel even more burdensome. So the challenge for us is to intentionally and with commitment and sensitivity to all involved, weave more play into our work, into our life, while also creating cultures of play where it becomes the norm and not something judged by toxic work systems. And this is the work of an unburdened leader. Thank you so much for joining this episode of The Unburdened Leader. If this episode was meaningful to you and impacted you, I would be honored if you would rate it and review it and share it with someone you think may benefit from it. You can find this episode, show notes, and free Unburdened Leader resources, along with ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com.